HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. Happy Memorial Day. We are celebrating the official kickoff to summer with a little bit of drinking and a little bit of dancing from an all-new episode with our two guests. First up, it's Dane Volek of Anchor Brewing Company. He chats about home brewing in college and the wonderful concoctions he made, his road to becoming the head brewmaster at Anchor Brewing Company, and the concerts he's excited about seeing this summer. And then a DJ bud from our DJ days, DJ Laurent, who talks about heading into the city as a teenager, what he learned from those dance floors, and his upcoming party, Rockstrap, which happens the first Friday of every month at a rock bar in New York City, which you can hit this very Friday. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
Bane. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Once again, thank you for all of the beer that you provided for our kids' birthday party. All of the parents absolutely loved it, especially the the new Mexican lager for a hot summer day here in LA. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's perfect. Glad you appreciated it. Um, we're recording a few days before Memorial Day, and this is airing Memorial Day weekend. So I have to ask, what type of beer is in the fridge? What do you got going on the grill? What's on the sound system? Are you planning a big party? Because I got to imagine with what you have at your hands, you're having people over. Oh, you know, I'm hoping to attend a party. I think with uh, the chaos that is the everyday (laughs) life these days, I'm probably not quite in the mode at the house right now to have everybody. I've just been spending a little bit of time late in the season here in the garden. So we're not quite ready for the company just yet, but would love to have them in the near future. Shooting for July 4th instead. Okay, but you're not going to show up empty-handed. I mean, what do you like for eating and drinking during the hot months? Uh, I've been finding myself really enjoying a lot of seafood these days, so Mm. I love doing that kind of thing on the grill. Maybe a little seared ahi, um, get that on a fresh salad and enjoy something real healthy. Uh, But shrimp all the way and uh, any kind of steak will do. I've been finding myself drawn to burgers these days, too. There's something about that. Nice, yeah, meat, I mean, nice meaty juiciness that I crave. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time for burgers. Um, I was reading up about you, and you might be the first guest we've had that's also had a profile in the wedding section of the New York Times. And while I do have many questions about how you get in the wedding section, I feel like that is a different conversation for a different podcast. But what I was reading about is that you and your wife, Diana. I say that correctly? Uh, Deanna. Deanna. Sorry. Got it. Got to get the right name right. Yeah. It's a Deanna. One. Um, you guys are big music fans and you guys fell in love over music. And I got to ask, summer's here. What concerts are you going to? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to anything we can get into to start. But, uh, <laughs> no, there's a M83 show coming up at the Fox that mm-hmm. I'd like to check out. Uh, my sister-in-law is for her birthday. Flume is playing at the Fox. Nice. Uh, so we'll definitely be there. Um, keeping my options open right now. Don't have too many tickets in hand. I am going to be seeing Nicola Cruz at 10, uh, 10, 15 Folsom in July, mm. early July. So that's a interesting venue for Nicola Cruz. So it's going to be uh, something interesting to see. I haven't been to that venue in quite some time. So I know they've done some work on it. The last time I was there was kind of after some of that work was finishing up. So I'm a little bit familiar with the space, but uh, Nicola is going to be interesting there. Yeah, I've I found now that with so many shows, especially falling on top of each other, you know, I still think people are playing catch up for the pandemic that some artists are playing some menus that they would not normally play. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes, you know, the room really matters for a specific type of artist. Sure. And who's Um, Yeah. Um, I want to go back a bit and I don't want to assume, but the dream of being a brewmaster was probably not the, on what I want to be when I grow up dream list, at least when you were like, in elementary school. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, but when did you first start getting into beer? And more importantly, when did you think you could start having a career in it? Oh, those are great questions. Uh, and it'll be a little bit of fun to talk about here. I, I, I started getting into beer maybe a little late. I'll go college times roughly. Mm. I mean, 
I remember having a handful of beers when I was quite young and wasn't necessarily drawn to it. I remember the first one that I really did have that I was like, wow, this is something, something really special was uh, a Warsh diner mm. uh, on a 4th of July, actually shooting off some fireworks in uh, the middle of Missouri with a couple of buddies. And that was my first beer that I really, really enjoyed uh, and thought that this is maybe something I'd be intrigued by in the future. Uh, but then it just basically became a, a homebrewing thing in college. Mm. I drank some beer with some friends and we were all into it. And um, we realized that right down the street from us really was a pretty well-known homebrew shop with a great, you know, kind of great feel to it. Great people that worked there. Um, the owner, unfortunately, no longer with us and the uh, mm. shop, unfortunately, no longer with us. Um, but that was SF Brewcraft out in the inner Richmond uh, so I got started there, went and bought a kit. You know, you got all the ingredients, sent a free two-hour lesson with Grizz when you got the kit. So I uh, got all that stuff together and made a, kind of a play on Pyramid's Apricot Ale as my first beer that I ever homebrewed. Oh, so I've we had were, that. Uh, I mean, that's a while back. Yeah. yeah that's a while great. back. Yeah. Um, you know, you, speaking of, of that specific beer and that specific time, um, there was so much experimentation and so many funky things showing up in beer. And I'm not saying that that's not happening now, but it was homebrew was so much more of a, I felt during that time, like, let's see how crazy we could get. Like, let's see like how high we can jack up the ABV, like how, what sort of weird fruit and flavors we can get in. What were you experimenting with? How much of it was working and quaffable and how much of it was like, all right, like we'll drink it because we're college students, but this is not something we're going to make again. Oh, uh, you know, I I have to say I never really had that many batches that weren't approachable. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think if you, yeah. you take the right approach, and I mean, I've always been very kind of clean freak and neat freak, mm. uh, which makes me a good brewer, of course. But that I took that, you know, right out of the gate to that mm. kind of application. So we never really had anything go bad on us. Uh, I mean, some of the beers may not have been up to the kind of palette that I would, I would have today. I think um, that's but, more my question about the, yeah. the palette evolution. Yeah. I mean, I got pretty quick into IPAs after mm. doing some mm-hmm. ales. I mean, it took me a brief minute to figure out that in a college kind of living environment, I wasn't really going to be able to make lagers, um, which I would, you know, when we first decided to start homebrewing, my buddies and I, and they quickly got out of it and said, why don't you keep doing this yourself and we'll just keep sure. drinking it. Sure. Um, but we drank a lot of Mexican lagers then. So, I mean, we were drinking Pacifico when we first mm-hmm, realized mm-hmm. what what was coming. Uh, but, you know, I think they were all pretty good. The IPAs, of course, like you throw enough hops at something, some sexy sure. new age hops, it, it's going to be drinkable. So It'll be drinkable. I mean, I don't even want to talk about what I considered drinkable in college. It was... Stuff I still see on the shelves in liquor stores, and I go like, no, yeah. no, thank you. Um, but look, being a home brewer, being a hobbyist to anything is one thing, and it's another thing to make that jump to really getting into the world of a professional fill-in-the-blank craft. When did you start really thinking about making go about it, and what opportunities in San Francisco were in front of you? Uh, well, I, I didn't even know what kind of opportunities were in front of me other than the fact that outside of <laughs> one of my classrooms, uh, there was a, a bulletin board and it was kind of right in that stage where I was running out of money and needed to mm. think about a job and didn't really mm-hmm. want to. Uh, I was enjoying not having a job. Sure. Uh, I was focusing on school and the home brewing. 
Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, this, uh, you know, the way I recall it is kind of very mysterious, romantic, but it was a job description with your classic rip the number off the bottom. And it was kind of vague, talked a little bit about, you know, the pay and the requirements, but that was kind of about it. And then a couple classes later, maybe a week or two later, I saw it again passing and it had been stamped mm. right on the top Anchor Brewing Company. Mm. And memory serves that wasn't there initially, uh, because then, of course, I ripped the number off right away. Mm -hmm. So started, you know, doing part time work, uh, just working in the racking room, cleaning kegs and and actually getting off the couch. Uh, So that was kind of the first start of it. Uh, I was still very focused on school at that time and still thought that my future was elsewhere. Um, but after moving through three or four departments and we're getting, you know, three, four years into working at Anchor, it was definitely starting to be a situation where this was home. I knew I was going to stay here. I finished up school anyways, because, you know, that's what you do. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I've got that in the back pocket. I'm also an sure. economist, I guess. Uh, it, hey, being in business and knowing the economy never hurts. Yeah. Although well, I... I don't think beer ever really goes out of fashion. That's true. That's true. It, it, it's cyclical with what beers are in, but beer is always going to be around. Yeah. So we be- love beer that. knows no recession, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you said you started washing kegs and I know again, this was a different era, but I have to imagine that starting there had to lay the groundwork for what it meant to eventually be the head brewmaster what did you take from that time that still rings true today at that entry level position? Oh, I mean, just the, the culture here, the like mm. familial kind of feel and the way that the knowledge is, is handed down. Uh, Anchor's not historically had a whole lot of professionally trained brewers and uh, technicians mm. and things like that. Uh, you know, Fritz was always very much just sure. about identifying somebody who was a hard worker that was passionate and fit in with the crew. Uh, and then that that just kind of percolated up over over the years. Those people would stick around. They'd have the same passions that the rest of us have had and, and realize that this is exactly where they wanted to be, even if they didn't know it. Um, so that's kind of something that I feel like is is definitely being passed down generation to generation, shall mm. we say. Um, but that's that's definitely something that's still a big part of our culture here is we all take it you know, as, as absolutely sacred, just to continue that feel and pass on the knowledge we have to our, our kind of cross training and, um, just interfacing with everybody at the company, learning everything that you can. I mean, obviously craft beer is, is uh, not a bad place to be and somewhere that's easy to have passion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so starting at entry level and now being the head brewmaster, and I know that you've been there for a long time. Um, when did you start to realize that you were really going to make a run of it beyond the culture fit beyond the, you know, being economist, when did you say, I want to go for the top and what were the steps to get there? Well, I think that, you know, I, I'd worked three different departments part-time. I got my first full-time job at anchor in 2010 and that was in the mm. filtration department. A uh, very difficult area of the brewery. It really takes quite a bit of focus and attention. And it, it, in that way, it really kind of builds up your, your confidence and, and also your understanding that this product is 
a living product that you're handling mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. and that there's a lot of a lot of care that has to go into all of it. So I started getting a little bit more serious right about that time. And, and then I think 2012, I went into the brew house, uh, tried out for a brewing position, landed my first brewing position. And of course, with the beautiful brew house that I'm looking at here in the background, yeah. uh, it, it's pretty easy to fall in love and, sure. and really feel like, hey, we're the centerpiece right here. And it really, if, if you haven't felt stitched into the scene yet, it really puts you in there. So I, you know, really started to feel even more passionate at that point, started, you know, learning more about the history, learning more about every single step of the process. And I think from there, it kind of started to percolate. And then 2017, going over to public taps and Mm -hmm. doing these hands-on beers, one-of-a-kind beers, and just interfacing directly with the, the consumer and our fans, you know, people come in before the tour, after the tour, sure. the weekend crew. So that, you know, again, it kind of kept pushing me in this direction of, of having some kind of ambition for what could I do and what can I bring to the table and what kind of creative influence would I like to, to see fostered. And so, again, just kind of building, building up that, that desire to, to take it a little bit further, try a little bit harder, um, you know, it, it was kind of a natural progression. Uh, you know, when did I think that I would be exactly where I am now? I, I don't know that it's definitely taken some time, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, it's a, it's a wonderful journey. And, uh, we're gonna take a little break. Cause I want to talk about part of that journey being the responsibility of, of, you know, working for a company that's been around since the late 1800s and what it means to maintain that heritage, but then to also push it forward and things like that. Um, We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
side to side to side Help me understand Why you throwing me aside to side to side We gotta Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Dane Volek, head brewmaster of Anchor Brewing Company. And working for a company that has had such a legacy, being around since 1896 and seeing so much of the economy going up and down, society going up and down, uh, the environment going up and down, like all these things. There's got to be this incredible weight of responsibility to maintain the ship, but then also steer it in a new direction. How do you balance that? That's an excellent question. Uh, yeah, our, our heritage is huge for us, of course. And uh, the history that makes these beers, I mean, steam beer, of course, being the one that takes us all the way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is, it is a tricky balance of doing the honor and the heritage to all of that but still wanting to be relevant and bring something to the fore that, you know, other people are enjoying some of the more modern takes on, on hop expression and things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. You get into the IPAs. Sure. Um, so again, public taps, we'll plug that one more time and say that's been a fun place to do a lot of that exploration. Yeah. Um, but San Francisco is such a food friendly city and oh, it's yeah. cult- culturally rich. Um, so we take a lot of inspiration from there. Uh, enjoy the people and, and friends that we have in town. And that tries to inform a lot of the brewing decisions that we make too, what we want to see out there. Uh, and I think one of the good things about our brewery is we make these amazing, amazing lagers. Uh, we just do a great job with that. So, you know, brewers always love to drink those beers. So we're always trying to try something new in that vein and um, see where we can push our system. Mm. Yeah, real. Uh, it's good to have the foundation and good to have that core product, not to be gauche about it, but know that like this is our, our bedrock beer, because then knowing that that's going to move in the marketplace gives you that freedom to be experimental, to try something new, to impress, impress other people, and to even find new flavors. Exactly. Yeah, and we've had you know incremental changes to our, our brewing equipment over the years. We've added mm. this and added that. And uh, you know when we first started dry hopping, it was 100% hops in the tank, sort of the tea bag technique. We had these sure. you know, bags that held the hops. Now we have external dry hopping devices. You know, we've started to put more pellets into our dry hopping process. So mm. some of it is also just along those lines of, of expanding your capabilities and taking a product that you made before, you know, take Liberty Ale as an example. That's a beer, wonderful beer that we all love around here. Probably one of the favorites of the crew. Uh, it's not made exactly the same way as it used to be made because now our hops are a little bit different. The way that we're processing that dry hopping is a little bit different. So it's fun to play around with those things. And they're great opportunities, again, just to learn more about what you're doing, uh, more background about the ingredients that you're using. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, with the hands-on process that we have, uh, very hands-on, I'm sure you know that. I'm sure anybody who's been here has seen that firsthand. Uh, Sure. 
it's all very, very manual. Um, so it, it's a great opportunity to explore those kinds of things. Again, just inform all of our people, learn together uh, and, and try out new processes that we think are going to make a, an impact on the beer. And, and we really feel like they have over the years. I mean, speaking of the public taps room and being hands-on and experimenting, how much are you dipping into your bag of trips from being a home brewer? Like how funky are you getting with the flavors? Do you know that you're going to push something that's a real beer for other brew masters, as you said, you know, stuff that maybe it's a keg or two and that's about it. And it comes and it goes. Yeah. We've done some real funky single keg stuff and, you know, racking <laughs> single, single barrels of sour, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's fun to be brewing over there. You know, the, the capacity that we have is we pretty much do a brew a week over there. So there's a lot of wow. room to play. Uh, yes, it's the innovation brewery. Yes, it's the pilot brewery for the big brewery. But we don't have that many needs that we need to be doing something every week in that vein. So it does leave mm. a ton of time to explore. And I do like trying to keep a balanced menu, you know, keep a nice, clean, sure. fresh lager sure. that brewers are going to love and, you know, plenty of people will love. But then you got to have the funky stuff on there too. And we've had a lot of fun playing with weird ingredients. I mean, one of my favorite beers to this day was a beer called Sesame Sauce. Uh, and it was a black okay. lager, which I love okay. black lagers. We try sure. to make a couple of those a year. Uh, but then I got some black sesames, hand toasted them in a wok, and then threw some of that into the whirlpool and then did the same thing like a dry hopping, um, but essentially a dry sesame uh, and, and it turned out amazing. It had sort of this like earthy, oily, mm. uh, you know, sesame element to it. And it just played beautifully with that smooth, rich, roasty malt character. And you get the nice lager backbone. Uh, one of my favorite beers that we've made. Uh, we've played I with mean, smoke quite a bit. We put yeah. the tea in there. Uh, I mean, we've done a lot of different things. Uh, so always fun to play around. I mean, for that sesame lager... Put me December, dozen oysters, couple of pints. The cool coming off the the water in San Francisco. I'm I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Um, you know, I read in that same article uh, from the New York Times that the Pillars of the Earth is one of your favorite books, and I, I love it too. And for those who don't know, it's about this guy Tom Builder who's trying to build the greatest cathedral in Europe, and some of the parallels I could see between your vision of what you're trying to grow um, at Anchor Brewing Company. What do you pull from that book? Why do you love it? You know, how, what's your vision for the future of the, the company that you're now helming? Yeah, it's definitely a cathedral builder. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually also gave it to a friend as a gift and, and write, wrote some similar things on the yeah. cover. Um, but I think it's about dealing with everything that gets thrown at you. Uh, there's going to be storms. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be, you know, a lot of people to work with. Uh, sometimes that's awesome. And sometimes it's difficult. And that book has a lot of parallels in that way that it, it's about growing mm-hmm. older. It's about pushing things forward. Uh, and it's, of course, about like that thick. Uh, I mean, I love famous yeah. case of beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's all about taking a foundation, laying the foundation mm. strong and heavy, 
and building up to the sky from there. And I, I think that's very synonymous with brewing too. Of course, we come from the ground, all these natural ingredients, hands-on, and you're just building up this amazing thing. And on top of the pyramid, you've got your pint glass sitting there ready to go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's about the people. It's about the product. Um, I think, you know, speaking of ingredients, um, we've talked a lot about the stuff that flavors of the beer, but the main component is water and being a California brewing company. I know that you guys have thought a lot about the future, especially if we now look, it's tough to, Imagine that we were in a drought after the rainy season we just had these few months ago, but we've been in a drought for 20 years in California. And you guys have actually worked out a new type of filtration system and water system to actually deal with this problem. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that was important for you to put in to practice? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I can't claim that it's our technology. Uh, we have Cambrian as an excellent partner there. Sure. Uh, and of course, the city Go of with the best. Francisco. Yeah. And of course, the city uh, did their part too, chipping in to make this a reality. Mm. Uh, but of course, breweries very heavy on on effluent streams. You know, a, a good good load of BOD in there. So there's a lot of processing. You know, you have all this yeast. You don't really want that going down the drain. That'll just eat up all the oxygen and in the environment. Mm. It really works the, the plumbing system pretty hard. Uh, and then of course, mm-hmm. you have all this water that you're using. You want to try to recover some of that. So, yeah, we've got right across the street next to Public Taps uh, a Cambrian water system there. So all our all of our effluent flows over to them from the brewery. Wow. They process it. And then we've got some of that water coming back. Um, we, we're very strict about not using that water on anything that's going to touch process or product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but anywhere that we can use that water safely, um, we use that to decrease our load. Um, it's made made a change for us. So we're looking forward to con- continuing to find avenues to use that water and, and expand that process. I mean, as you start to look to the future, what do you see this summer, five years, 10 years uh, as the future of the company? Uh, I mean, we've been around for a long time. We plan to be around for a long time. Yeah. I'd love to see, you know, a couple new new beers each year see how people like new ideas, new expressions. Um, we're pretty excited right now because we're working through some hops and looking forward to bringing in some different hops mm. um, for future IPAs, trying to mix things up a little bit and see what the market's liking. Um, but I love to see the, the foundation, you know, Anchor Porter, Liberty Ale, Steam Beer. Yep. Uh, you know, I like to see these things continue forward and continue to educate more and more people on the rich history that that makes these beers what they are today uh, and, and then keep people interested at the same time, put out more things like Sam Poncho, uh, some new products that are different yeah. and perhaps tied also just as much as everything else to San Francisco and the people and everything that we love. Yeah. I mean, I like the legacy brands. I also love the redesigns that you did for the labels and for some of the cans. It's, um, I remember my first anchor steam when I think I came to uh, California a decade ago and then seeing it in the new bottle with the new design and the cans and everything. I was like, oh, it's a great beer, but sometimes people just need to see a new design and it's it's great to see something fresh or something true really married together in a in like a perfect new package. 
Yeah, I've loved to see a little bit of that myself. Uh, you know, we want people to see the product on the shelf. We, of course, want people to know we have something other than steam beer because there's sure. people that don't. I know. Um, but then know. something like the West Coast IPA, you know, you've got a little mm-hmm. bit more going on on the can. San Pancho, you got a ton yeah. going on on the can, a totally different look. So I've been really excited about that. The marketing department's been doing incredible work uh, helping showcase the wonderful liquid that's in the package. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a little bit more of that. Uh, okay. We've got a couple okay. things we're talking about, and I know all of us brewers are incredibly excited about some things that we'll be seeing in the near future. Yeah, it's great. It's 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 great. And um, look, we started with the summer with the kickoff of Memorial Day, and I know we have a lot of summer in front of us. So before we go, you're off work, you're at home, a nice cool breeze, San Francisco night. What's the beer you're drinking? What's the song you're listening to? Uh, probably Chris Pilsner. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe I've got an Al Green album spinning mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, some Steve, Steve Winwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a fairly eclectic palette. I've got some nice kind of mixes that have everything from, you know, Tedeschi truck bands to Tyco, of course. Uh, I know of course. You, you probably yes, were, read a bit about yes, that Yes, I as did. Well. Uh, I did. Great pull for a wedding. Great pull. Yeah. Great pull. Uh, well, listen, I'm a Pilsner fan as well, and I thank you for taking the time to chat with us. And again, thanks for the beer for the birthday party. It was a smashing success. That New Mexican lager is, I'll be drinking a lot this summer. Um, if people want to follow along with your adventures or check out the new beers or go to the, uh, the tap room, where can they go? Uh, tap room's a great place to start, of course. Uh, Anchor Public Taps. We're open you know, Wednesday to Sunday at the moment. So a lot mm. of opportunity there, uh, 24 taps, and it's usually about 50-50 commercial products to beers that we've brewed right there on site, one of a kind. Uh, we've got a wonderful tour program. So right mm-hmm. now we're running tours Thursday through Sundays. so you should come check us out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't seen us, absolutely. If you have seen us, come on back. Uh, we've got a wonderful new book called The Anchor Brewing Story by David Burkhart, our mm. Uh, recently retired company historian. So that's a great primer for anybody interested in beer and the history of beer, especially. And amazing. And us. Uh, and we're also going to be relaunching our website in the very near future here. We've got a great beer finder app on there. So you can find the beers that are available in your area, where to get them. Uh, and that should probably cover it. Awesome. Well, Dane, thank you so much. Shout out to Diana as well for helping set this up. Love you, Becca PR. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be the brave one. 
pressured in your head A pilgrim's palmistry The arc of head and heart and cross feet aside I've never been somebody's eyes Give you little kisses Until the fishes come and learn to rule the land This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Laurent, welcome to Snacky Tunes. It's summertime, it's New York City, and we know you're busy, so thank you so much for making a little bit of time to chat with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, you have that legendary thing in the past where you grew up in Jersey 
and went to the city on the weekends, which is something that I've always dreamed of in another life if I lived just a little bit closer of, of having. What was it like to be like a teenager, early ages, hop in the train, get into the city, seeing New York be so alive when you're still so young? Um, the first word that comes to mind is always magical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but I think what made it so magical is that it was also a little scary, you know, mm-hmm. because you're a teenager and, you know, you know, the world is your oyster, but, you know, when you look back at it, you're like, oh, my God, those places, those people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've always liked crowds, to be honest, since I was a little – I was born in Istanbul, which is yep. another, you know, crowded city. And I've always really loved the energy of crowded places. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, it, you know, it, it kind of felt normal, as crazy as it was. Um, there was, you know, there was – it was West Chelsea. All the, most of the clubs were in West Chelsea, in the, a little higher than the meatpacking district. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember, you know, walking through the streets at night, trying to get into clubs. You know, you could sneak into some and some you couldn't sneak into. But I remember so well the, the, the gates of these buildings shaking from the base, and I just oh. wanted to be inside so bad. And, you know, I eventually, you know, ended up on the other side. Well, that's such an interesting thing about winding up on the other side because you do hear some stories about kids who went to clubs when they were young and then that was it. They went, they were young, they got that out of their system and they moved on to another part of your life. When did you realize that you wanted to be on the other side, when you wanted to be in the booth behind the decks? You know, that's such a funny question and it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I know it sounds pompous, but I've always said – I didn't start going clubbing then wanted to be, be a DJ. I started going clubbing because I wanted to be a DJ. Mm. So that was the goal, you know. You know, I, it wasn't like I had, you know, like an epiphany one night um, while I was out fucked up. It was more like, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was, to me, I was going to school, you know. Mm. Yeah, you talk about that, about being on some legendary dance floors and learning, and it must be – so interesting to know that you're there to learn to one day be a DJ and to produce and have such incredible teachers who were playing at these clubs. Yeah. I mean, it's an invaluable uh, experience for, I think to, to be on a New York dance floor for anybody in the world aspiring to be a DJ um, and learning from people like Danny Tenaglia and Junior mm-hmm. Vasquez, uh, it really is invaluable. I, I don't, Take it for granted. No, especially since so many of us, and you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Just what was happening in New York, um, and and those DJs, less so now because of social media, and you can sort of have more interaction, or at least feel like you have more interactions in your life. It just seems such like a fantasy. It just seemed like such a faraway place to even get access to. You mean because social media? Well, today it just feels like, oh, like, here's their Instagram live story and you're with them in, in Ibiza and, like, you're sort of following along. Oh, yeah, you had to Back right. then there was, like, a myth and a mystery and, like, who are these guys and who, like, who are these legends? Yeah, you literally had to be there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you literally yes. had to be there and it wasn't like, oh, I can download their mix or I can see like that. It's like, no, you had to physically be in the room. Yeah, and people could still smoke in clubs even though, <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> – 
Um, I, I, I want to get a little bit into your producing and your label, Royal Advisor Records. But first, I want to hear a song. And the first one we're going to hear is Friends. And I think it's appropriate to sort of dovetail into the conversation we're having. Because when I think about going out, when I would go out dancing, it was always about being with my friends. And that's what made the night. Um, right. What inspired the song? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, honestly, I, for a long time, I wanted to make a song with the specific title "Friends," because you know, you know, considering all these things we're talking about, one of my favorite things has always been running into my friends on the dance floor, and I think it's you know, um, there's this cosmic energy that kind of fills everyone with joy when you know they start dancing together. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That's what I tried to capture with this song. Mm, well, it's dedicated to, you know, friends dancing on a dance floor to house music. Uh, all night long. Here we all go. DJ Laurent, friends on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're with DJ Laurent, who just played us Friends. And when you and I were emailing and chatting, you know, you're talking about how you've matured a bit and you've started really focusing your efforts on nightlife, which for anyone who's been in nightlife, it's so easy to get distracted from doing producing or work by either chasing parties or just going out all the time. When did you start to shift into being more serious about your nightlife pursuits? Honestly, I think I was always serious about it. <laughs> I was, you know, you know, I was a little almost uptight about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, one thing that did shift, I would say, after I started my label in 2010, mm-hmm. is. It's kind of hard to describe. You you really have to make specific goals. You know, you can't mm-hmm. really wait for something good to happen. Um, you have to make things happen. And, you know, you hear people say this all the time, but it's true. Um, mm-hmm. And you, especially in this day and age, you kind of have to um, create a story. And I think, to, and I've always, you know, been a person who, kind of likes things like that, you know, even something as small, you know, I even like writing press releases, you know, it's just. Sure. I mean, that's the the, story. Yeah. The story of it, you know, so, so you really have to kind of um, create your own story. And when I say I matured after starting my label is realizing that that's what I had to do, you know, not kind of create my bubble in a way. Yes. And bubble's a horrible word, but you know what yeah, I mean. I, I know what you I mean, you're creating space, and that's one of the things about Royal Bunch yes, Records. Creating, creating space, yes. Yeah, that I loved is because you created it with such a mission um, to give space uh, for queer artists and allies, uh, which, you know, in 2010 seems like, you know, such a long time ago of giving that space and creating that space and carving it out compared to today. What made you want to just be so direct in that mission and say, like, this is what my label's about? Um, well, you know, like our last conversation of being a teenager, going out in these clubs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't just a teenager. I was a gay teenager, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and at that age, you want to have something to hold on to, something to be proud of. And to me, house music, being so directly linked to the gay community was something that I was very proud of. So for me, when I started my label, it was a no brainer that people had to recognize the link between house music and the LGBTQ community. And creating a label that was directly inspired by that community and then also open to producing music and investing in a community, what type of artists and other artistic individuals were drawn to you? Um, and yeah, so when I, yeah, when I first started the label, so, you know, dance labels historically have always been very single driven, mm-hmm, you, know, mm-hmm, you know, even if you think mm-hmm. about 12 inches, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you buy a 12 inch, you don't know what the person that made it looks like. I mean, maybe you do, but you probably don't. Um and, you know, it doesn't mean the record isn't amazing, but 
you know, it's just sing, very single driven, right? So I was aware that, you know, in around 2010, you know, the kind of the vinyl thing was fading and, you know, it was just people were accessing things digitally. So I wanted my artists to have a face and a, a presence. So I started with a bunch of artists who weren't necessarily DJs and producers, but they were art, you know, they were singers and rappers. And I do have to say, we did the queer rap thing before anybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, that's how we started. Uh, but then, uh, then I read, you know, as proud as I am of that, because I don't think anybody's done that really to, the way I was doing it, but eventually you learn that there's not enough, you know, money in the world to to be able to uh, develop artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, of course. And although you know those artists went off and did fun things, you know, on their own, but I eventually brought the label back to what I know, which is just you know dance music. Dance music. Mm. Mm. Um. Let's hear another song. I feel like Delusions of Grandeur is a perfect tie-in to the ideas of running a label and how big it could get, especially when you're sitting and spinning incredible records in your bedroom. What's the story behind this song? So the illustrious blacks, um, uh, they're, you know, they're prominent. You know, they're doing very well. They're a married couple from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, they traveled the world, one DJs uh, and the other one MCs during the DJ set. Mm, and, and they but they're also both singers and they have, a, uh, you know, they have a great voice together. And we've always run into each other in Brooklyn. Um, so, you know, you, you know, you know how it is, you know, yeah, let's make course. a track together. Yeah, let's, let's make, make a track, a track yeah, together. Yeah. Let's make a track together. So I had this very simple demo. Um, I sent it to them. Uh, that's usually how I work with demos. The demo is initially very simple, and by the t by the time it's done, it's not <laughs> almost at all what it was. Of I course, hope. of course. Yeah, but they liked it, and the song, and like you know, anything from like the tonality to the theme, uh, the delivery of what they came up with, couldn't be more what I wanted. You know I what I mean? That. Yeah, no, and of course. Just, and you know, I used the word cosmic before; it was one of those things, and. So that's Delusions of Grandeur. <laughs> Amazing. All right, well, here we go. DJ Laurent, Delusions of Grandeur on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with DJ Laurent. What up? And I've heard a lot about your party, Rockstrap, which happens the first Friday of every month. And this is coming out the Sunday before the June edition of the party. How did this get started? And what made you want to shift into doing and focusing mainly on a monthly than just running around town playing a ton of gigs all the time? Um. You know, after the, you know, we were all very confused during the pandemic. Sure, and, sure, sure. You know, coming out of it, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it's just the uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm. So coming out of it, you know, I was very confused. You know, because it's you, I, I don't think you can easily go back to the world like nothing happened. Mm-mm. So I decided that I don't want to be like a puppy chasing these, you know, little, you know, just like <laughs> yeah. these little, little gigs that I'm not happy with, just just to say I'm DJing, you know. Of course. And then it dawned on me that you know, like I have this monthly. So this July, it's going to be entering its fifth year. Wow. And it wasn't. It was actually in the beginning of this year or the end of last year that it dawned on me that I have a successful party on. Almost, you know, it's basically on the West Side Highway on a historically gay street, Christopher yeah. Street. Yep. And I'm like, you know, what a blessing that is, you know. So um, might as well just really focus on it and um, see what happens. And it's been paying off. You know, people are paying attention. You know, it's people who are always paying attention, don't get me wrong. No, but of course. There's a, there's a shift and it's very obvious to the staff. It's very obvious to me, to the patrons um the, the name is a little misleading because it's called rock strap not because it's a rock party but it's because the name of the bar is rock bar mm-hmm. and it's also happens to be a jock strap party if you feel like wearing a jock strap but yes. you know it's it's half and half you know it's not of uh, of the best of both worlds yeah exactly you know is there something about being established and then making yourself more exclusive and say, listen, you like my music. I've been in the community for a long time. This is your chance to see me. This is it. Once a month, maybe a few other times if you're lucky, but this is where you got to come. This is where my people are going to be. And some people just go like, yeah, I'm going to make that investment. This is what I'm doing every first Friday. This is where I'm spending part of my time. And building that community and that reciprocity between yourself and the DJ and and the people on the dance floor and the friends, it does start to pay off. Yeah, like I said, it's like a it's just um, it's it's a shift. That's what that's what I that's the word that comes to mind. Like something just um, clicks. So I want to talk about the music video you recently put out. What's the story behind it, and how did the partnership for the the video and the visuals come to be? Yeah, so you know we were talking about the energy on the dance floor when mm-hmm. you know with this, you know, shared joy that friends have when they start dancing together. Um, 
I think that's a very, you know, like a cosmic energy feeling. So I wanted to video to kind of reflect that. Um, the dancer in the video, his name is Robert Mason. He's a recent Juilliard graduate. Um, a few years ago, he sent me a video of himself dancing to my one of my songs. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of amazing. It, you know, there was this, you know, here was this kid rehearsing at Juilliard to one of my tracks. Amazing. Um, this was, I think, in 2019. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when time came to make a music video, you know, it was just serendipitous, I think. Um, like a full circle, you know? It was almost like he sent me that video so that we could make this video. I mean, it's, it's, it was almost like he sent me that original video in 2019 so that we can come to this point where he's in the music video. Yeah, just like, hey, think about it. Keep this in your back pocket. I'm here for you when you need me. <clears throat> yeah, and he turned it out. Yeah, he did turn it out. Yeah. Um, so the parties this Friday, you have music coming out. You got the music video. New York summer is in front of us. How excited you are about everything that's coming up for you. So Pride is coming up. Yes, it is. And it's one of my favorite seasons. Uh, it's just crazy. And I think this is the... So, you know, last year was a post-pandemic Pride, but I actually think this is the post-pandemic yeah, Pride. I feel like this is the post-pandemic summer. I mean, I think last year was fine. But I feel like this one is everyone's like COVID. Well, last year we still had the variants, and then there was there was a horrible monkeypox thing. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So that was that wasn't really a post-pandemic summer for anybody. Um, But but this this one is. Yeah, it's on. So be careful. Drink a lot of water. Drink a lot of water. It's going to be hot out there. It's going to be hot. So listen, I want to ask before before we get to the last song, because whenever I thought of my. New York Nights Out, it always was full of dancing and fun and music, but usually ended at a restaurant or grabbing a bite somewhere. You know, if I was in the city, it was like Great New York Noodle Town. If it was in Brooklyn, maybe Hana Foods for a sandwich. If not saying every night, but the nights when you do end it with a bite, where do you go? Um, the nights, where do I go? I go to. Well, tonight I'm going to Indochine. That's a little fancy, Ooh. but, but it's, I mean, I'm on my way there. So I'm like, well, I think, um, yeah, how's that? How's that for an answer? That's good. I mean, that's a, that's definitely dinner and dancing. I, I mean, I mean it, all t- it ties it all in, right? I mean, it's so amazing that Indochine is still on it after all these years. It's always You know, I actually time. used to work at a restaurant uh, that was owned by the same owners, Mm. Called called Republican Union Square. Oh yeah, yeah. Did, and yeah, go that ahead. was that was in the place. No, they didn't have the dance floor in the back in the basement. You're talking about apartment? No, there was another place in Union Square that I remember from years ago, where it was like a restaurant up top, and then in the back and sort of the downstairs, there was like a club. You know, one of the millions of places that have come and gone in New York City nightlife. Not coffee shop, right? Because they had a club in the basement. Yes, it was coffee shop. Thank you it so was, much. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Not to well, you know, myself. you told me we were going to talk about food. So I wanted to tell you that I recently moved into a Peruvian neighborhood. Mm. <laughs> so that's what I had prepared for you. And I was going to tell you that the ceviche is really good in, in, in on my street. Uh, you know, I like a little ceviche before I go out because it's enough to fill you up. 
put a nice little layer down. It's so bright and light and acidic, but not too heavy. Yeah, it and, gives you the, you know proper vitamins or seafood. Oh, yeah. Seafood, mm. and you have all like the limes and lemons and salt, all the electrolytes that you need. It's fantastic. Right, exactly, and avocado. And avocado, yeah. You got energy, and then you're out all night, and you just feel light and bouncy. Thank uh, you, ceviche. <laughs> thank you, ceviche. It's food, our fuel for the summer. Um, so before we go, we have one last song, which I feel, given what we just talked about, with this really being the summer and Pride being back for the first time, I feel life again. What's the story behind this track? It's exactly what you just said. There we the, go, baby. Yes. So let's go with it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, DJ Laurent, thank you so much. If people want to check out the record label or they want to follow along with you or make sure they make it to your monthly party, where can they go? Uh, I always say Instagram. It's my favorite of social media. Mm-hmm. And my handle on there is DJ underscore Laurent, um, L-O-R-A-N-T. Mm, pro. Spell the name. Love that. Thank you so much. Big shout out to Dane over at Anchor. And this is DJ Laurent, I Feel Life Again, here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next time.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org/slash subscribe.